Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, who is studying a new surgical technique that allows surgeons to make repairs to the heart without having to open the chest cavity and while the heart is beating. Info at PinnacleHealth.org. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. A recent report indicated that distracted driving, driving while texting, eating, really doing anything that diverts a driver's attention from the road, has increased in Pennsylvania by 52% over the last two years as far as citations that have been handed out. There's pending legislation in the State House that would ban all 16- and 17-year-old drivers from using a cell phone in any capacity. And on Monday, state troopers announced a crackdown on texting while driving. We're going to talk about distracted driving in this portion of the program. Joining us is Barbara Zortman, who is director of the Center for Traffic Safety. Ms. Zortman, welcome to the program. Morning. If you have a question or a comment, and this is one of those that we know we all have experienced it. We've all witnessed it. Maybe we've even done it. We'd like to hear from you. Maybe some of the the worst examples you've seen, recommendations of what you have liked to to see as far as uh, new laws or new rules, new regulations about distracted driving, give us a call. 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Well, Barbara Zortman, as I just mentioned, we all have witnessed this, and unfortunately, some of us have, have done it as well. But how much of an issue is this in Pennsylvania? Well, it is a big issue. It is on the rise. We are seeing crashes and fatalities that have risen over a five-year trend. We look at five-year trends. And throughout the state, we're seeing a rise. Right here in south-central Pennsylvania, we see in every county, we have seen uh, increases. Statewide, the number is alarmingly Increased from 2012 to 2016. In 2012, there were 14,702 crashes. In 2016, there were 16,051. So that's a significant increase. Uh, And the fatalities increase as well. Now, when we talk about distracted driving, I think many people right away think about texting and driving. But as I mentioned, Distracted driving, there's a lot more under that umbrella, isn't there? Actually, absolutely, and it's not all physical. I mean, we're talking eating, drinking, talking to your passengers. It doesn't always involve a cell phone. It could be your GPS, your navigation system. Your mind could be distracted over what's going on in your personal life or your work life. So distractions go be- far beyond just the texting and the, and the 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 mobile devices. Yeah, you know, you mentioned talking to a passenger that. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been in the passenger side with people that uh, will make a point of, because they want to make eye contact, make a point of turning away and looking at me. And I've always been a little bit nervous about that. And I was like, okay, yeah, don't just, do that. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> I, the eye contact, we can get away with that. With, But it's something else that uh, I see many people doing today, uh, wearing headphones or earphones, uh, earplugs, uh, either listening to music or maybe even using that, you know, by with their cell phone. Yeah, that is illegal to to have earbuds in while you're driving. So you can get pulled over for that as well. Um, You know, it's important that when we look at distracted driving that we also look beyond. I know you mentioned at the top of your show that uh, we're focusing on 16, 17 year young drivers. Yes, they they definitely need to be a part of the conversation and a part of our consideration. But this goes through every demographic. Everybody is is guilty of this. And. We all need to take personal responsibility, and it's going to take a serious culture change, a serious, uh, like I said, personal responsibility and setting examples for one another. And when we reach out to teens, what we really impress with them is their peer influence. You make your own rules for your vehicle. As a passenger, you should, and as an adult, make it a rule for yourself that yeah, you're, most you don't want don't, your driver doing that. Yeah, most people have a problem saying to someone, no, no smoking in here. Yeah. It's almost the same thing. Exactly. And your life depends on it. So we we are starting to actually approach passengers, talk to, talk to people as passengers, uh, whether they're of the driving age or, or not, uh, that 
take that responsibility, offer to answer that phone or answer that text or ask that driver to put the phone away. Uh, really take an outspoken approach and, and maybe we can start to see some kind of cultural change. But you mentioned, you touched on this, that the statistics show that uh, the age group that is texting most often is uh, the 16 to 24-year-olds. Now, we'll talk a little more about that, but one of the things that strikes me about that is that this is the age group, especially the younger ones, that has the least amount of experience with driving. Mm -hmm. They have the least amount of experience with driving, and they actually don't have full brain development either to be able to make good decisions. So we have to make them for them sometimes. And as parents, we definitely need to take a a real proactive approach with our our kids and and have stricter guidelines for them when it comes to use of or, you know, even having the cell phone on while they're driving. So, you know, there's some parenting rules that we need to begin to establish with our kids. So they they not only don't have the brain development to make good decisions, but they because they're so tech savvy, they feel like they can do all of this. That this was is, my next question, is that they're used to, mm-hmm. that, that age group has grown up with this, and they are so tech savvy that... They look at it as, oh, this is this is second nature. I can do this without even thinking about it. I can pay attention to the road while I'm while I'm texting, which physiologically is impossible because our brain is only designed to do one thing successfully at a time. Uh, when we focus our attention on one thing, both our left and right lobe. Uh, begins to focus together on that one task. So when you add another task to that, those lobes divide. So they divide the attention between the two tasks. Then you throw in a third one, and then you're really complicating the issue. So it's not whether or not you think you are good enough at this and you've gotten away with it 1, 10, 15 times. One of these times you're not going to be able to. But physiologically, we cannot do it. Our brain is not... Uh, able to process multitasking successfully. And you have one task when you're behind the wheel, one job, that's all. And that's to get from point A to point B without causing yourself or someone else bodily injury or property damage. That's all you, that's all you should be focusing on for that period of time. We're going to take some phone calls in just a moment. 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call. If you have a story to tell, maybe a question to ask about the distracted driving, maybe some recommendations on your own. Maybe uh, you'd like to see the cha- a change in the law. Maybe you're, uh, you know, you're someone who thinks that uh, we have enough in place. 1-800-729-7532. And I'm going to take some phone calls here in just a moment. But, uh, Barbara, you mentioned, uh, touched a little bit on drunk driving. One of the statistics that I saw on your website is that uh, someone texting is six times, and I just want to make sure I have this, this correct, a driver is six times more likely to have an accident while texting than while driving drunk. That is an amazing statistic. It absolutely is because, it's, it's again, it's what you're requiring your brain to be able to accomplish. So it's, it's the uh, cognitive impairment that you are experiencing when you're trying to multitask behind the wheel. Uh, you're not able to, again, focus on that one issue at a time. And if you've, you know, if you've ever been intoxicated, you know how hard it is to try and focus on anything, get, you know, to, to be able to coherently do anything. So it's basically the same kind of physical deficiency. You know, it's funny because, funny not ha-ha funny, but uh, that you, uh, when you talk about the, those who are distracted driving texting in particular that they say, oh, I can do this because I'm, you know, I, I, I can I can multitask. I heard the same thing from those who are intoxicated, not all the time, but I have heard people say, oh, I can drive when I'm when I'm drinking. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm good at it. I'm, you know, and I'm like, yeah, sure you are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's take some phone calls and uh, go to Lewisburg. Hello, you're on the air. Hello. Let's see. Who do we have here? I want to make sure that... Uh, Get this. Hi. Oh, this Dave. Dave. Dave, how do you go? All right. So, Dave, what's your question or comment? I'm just curious about the law. I know you can't text while you drive, but what about other things like looking up a phone number? Or, or you know, my, my radio system, it allows Bluetooth connection to my phone so I can play music from my phone. Am I allowed to start a music on my phone while I'm driving? Or even like a map, if I put on Waze on my phone and 
get directions to someplace I don't know? Can I look at my phone for the map? I'm just curious what the law is about, you know, I know no texting, but what are what are other things? Good questions. Thank you very much for your call. Barbara, what about that? Well, unfortunately, the law just does speak directly to texting. It does uh, specifically address the texting portion, because that's what we were all focused on when the, the law was written. Uh, a police officer can cite you for distracted driving if you're just basically distracted. You're driving using a handheld phone. You're driving using a hands-free phone, and you're distracted. Uh, it does specifically say, now this is this is how the law is written, no driver shall operate a motor vehicle on a highway or traffic way in this Commonwealth while using an interactive wireless communication device to send, read, or write a text-based communication that's basically what the law says. Can you get away with, you know, uh, looking up a phone number and pressing the number? Yeah, you can get away with it. But I warn you, that is distracted driving. So uh, you could still be cited for it. And something else that we should point out uh, is that, and it didn't really say that in the passage of the law that uh, you read, but the law here in Pennsylvania is that, okay, you cannot text while driving. But if you are sitting in the driver's seat, stopped at an intersection, you legally can, correct? Yes. It's it's all about the, whether or not the, the vehicle is moving. And I would assume it would be the same way with, uh, you know, using a GPS, because we know there are a lot of people who use the GPS on their phones nowadays, and a lot of people who also have their music tied to their to their phones as well. So the best idea is to make sure the car is stopped, preferably off the road. Again, it's, it's personal responsibility. Um, unfortunately, we have to legislate responsible behavior in this particular issue, even without laws. We don't have the best law on the books yet, you know, as far as no handheld devices, no wireless communication type of thing. We don't have that. But we do have a basic law that gives at least law enforcement some uh, latitude to be able to uh, change behavior through law enforcement as well. So, you know, in answer to to the caller's question, um, I hate to answer that question that way because it makes people feel as though, oh, okay, legally it. I can get away with it, but morally and ethically and, and responsibly, should you even be attempting that? No, absolutely not. Any kind of, any t- anything, distracted driving is any t- anything that diverts your attention from the roadway. Anything, period. Mm-hmm. Let's take a phone call from Dennis in East Pensboro. Dennis, you're on the air. Good morning. morning. I was in Florida in 2010, and we ran across a bad accident on I-95. My wife being the registered nurse, we stopped and all that stuff, and we overheard the driver tell the state trooper he was texting, and it caused this bad accident, and people were injured and everything, and I've walked away. Now, I have to say in full disclosure, I have a phone. I use nine cell minutes the entire month of May, nine. One less than ten. Nine. I don't text. I don't want to receive text. I don't want to receive voicemail or email. And you can't even play really good symphonic music on a phone, so why have it? So I have it because they say the grandkids run a school bus, see in ten minutes. They don't have a red toy. They got a purple toy. How's that? Otherwise, shut up and chop. In my opinion, and I'm 71 years old, you get caught in an accident and you kill someone, the penalties ought to be the same as drunk driving. You ought to face losing your license for life if you cause a death because you texted. And maybe the automakers ought to develop technology. As long as those wheels are moving, you can't text. You can't even receive a phone call. Mm. You can't make a phone call unless you pull over and stop. And that's just my humble opinion. Dennis, thank thank you you very much. much, Yep, Thanks for your call. Okay, so what about that as far as the penalties go compared drunk driving to distracted driving? Well, I wish we had stronger drunk driving laws, too, so we can, we don't want to go there. But um, he brought up a lot of good uh, a lot of good points. Uh, unfortunately, now he he overheard disclosure, but unfortunately, these numbers that we look at are very seriously underreported. I wondered about that. Yeah, it's a lot of it's personal self reporting. Uh, when officer rolls up onto a crash scene, and you know uh, he doesn't have the the ability immediately to determine that there has been some kind of distracted driving. Are you going to admit that you you know tap the 
the fender of the car in front of you because you were texting? Why? No, you're not going to admit that. Uh, so this is a seriously underreported uh, crash factor. Yeah, it's it's not like uh, a breath out. You don't have a, a breathalyzer. There's there. no test. No, yeah. There's no there's test, test for that. And there, there even have been some people who have raised constitutional questions about whether a police officer can look at your telephone to see if you were texting. He he might be able to ask to do that, but you have the right to refuse that. I believe I believe that there has to be a serious uh, injury or obviously a fatality for them to be able to subpoena the records to be able to look at that cell phone. Again, that's not information I like to like impress to people because again, it, it falls back to well, you know something like that. Do you want that to happen? Does that have to happen before you change your behavior behind the wheel? We don't want that to happen for people to do that. Uh, for that to happen, we don't want we don't want our laws to be generated because it's an epidemic and people aren't listening and and taking responsibility. Just like with impaired driving. Um, and uh, he had talked about uh, car manufacturers making uh, certain amendments to the vehicles that maybe it won't drive as long as your cell phone's on. Um, I, I, that could be something that happens down the road. I don't see manufacturers doing that because I don't see that selling cars. Um, but what people can do is there is an app for that. There is an app for everything right. on this planet, <laughs> and there is an app for... To, to stop you from using your own phone. Uh, there are some, and they're, they're generally all free as far as I know. I think every platform and every uh, service provider has some kind of an app. There is one that will automatically send a text back to people that say, hey, I'm driving. I'll get back to you later. Uh, one that will shut your phone off while, when it's in motion. It will also shut off everybody else's in, in the car as well. Uh, which is what you should do, because other people's phones ringing in the car is a distraction to you, too. And your caller mentioned that he was 71 years old, and this is the conversation I have with my father, who's who's 77. Uh, well, what did you do? You know, remember when we didn't have cell phones? Remember when you had to wait to get home to find out if anybody called you? Like... This generation, especially when we're looking at the millennial generation, uh, the younger end of it, the teens and the early 20s, they, a lot of them have never even seen a landline. So they don't know what it's like to wait to find out who's calling you or, uh, or to make a phone call yourself. Uh, the upper end, you know, has seen landlines. I know my daughter, she's 34, and she has seen a landline when she was younger. Um, my, my grandson is not. He's five. He is not, six. Sorry, he just turned six yesterday. Um, so that's what we deal with. And when I talk to my father and to men of that generation or women of that generation, that's what that's a discussion that we have. Like, oh, these people don't know what we did before, you know. And yeah, what we have to learn that this is just the this is the way of the world now. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health. Its 11 principal investigators and nine nurse coordinators conduct research efforts to advance cardiovascular medicine. Information at pinnaclehealth.org slash myheart. Welcome back to Smart Talk. During this portion of the program, we're talking about distracted driving with Barbara Zortman, who is director of the Center for Traffic Safety. If you have a question or a comment, maybe an experience that you'd like to relate, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at smarttalkwitf. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. Let's go to Bill in Lancaster. Bill, you're on the air. Well, good morning, Scott. Hi, Bill. Um, Thank you for bringing this extremely critical topic uh, to the air. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Uh, In my case, um, it's personal. Uh, There are two people I know uh, in Lancaster that were killed as a result of someone texting. The texters walked away without a scratch, but uh, two fatalities were involved. One, uh, the woman was airlifted to the hospital, and on her way, said, she said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a mother of three. I'm, my husband needs me. Please get me there on time. Uh, and she died en route. So 
it's very personal to me. Um, and uh, <clears throat> regarding the um, the comment about about uh, a change in culture, uh, I hope someday that happens. Uh, my personal feeling is that uh, cultural change is going to come too late. So will, as was referenced earlier, manufacturers changing their technology. I think, unfortunately, I know <clears throat> we hate to lose our freedom, but I think it's going to be required by law that uh, manufacturers of automobiles are going to be told, no, you, you will put devices in the cars to disable the use of cell phones. That's it. Um, I know I think we're all too, too much, we're, we're, we're too much like children, and I think we need that. And the last point I'll make is that um, if, if, in fact, we, uh, we aren't permitted to smoke in public areas, that's a, that's a limitation of freedom, too. But it's for good reason. It's to save lives. Someone said to me one time, you know, Bill, and I, I am completely against uh, drinking and driving, but they said, you know, I'd rather be, I'd rather be uh, on the road with a drunk than I would a texter because at least a drunk is trying to pay attention. Mm. Hey, Bill, sorry for your loss, but uh, your story really hits home. Thank you very much for your, for your call. Unfortunately, Barbara... It does take a story like that, an experience like that, to get people to wake up. Yeah, it does. And and I am sorry for your loss as well, sir. Um, we This is a conversation that we are having almost on a daily basis, whether it's through the media, uh, through offices like my, mine that uh, go, go out on behalf of PennDOT, and we talk to students, and we talk to adults, we talk to parents, driver education instructors, do include this conversation in their curriculum. So uh, we do have a lot of outreach that's going on, and this is something that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I've been in this business for about 25 years. And this is only something that we've really been attacking and really approaching very aggressively in the last oh, five years. So I know it's taking some time and uh, technology is working against us because the easier they make it for everybody, the, the more they're going to use it. Uh, it's one, one of the things we're doing here in Pennsylvania. You know, we're actively um, researching and uh, working on prototypes for autonomous vehicles. That may be our solution someday to take away driver error as po- as much as possible, and that would be yeah, one of those. You would think you could make a car that can park itself and drive on its own someday. Uh, that this would be something that, uh, but as you're right, it doesn't it doesn't sell cars. And Bill may be right that it may be mandated, much like airbags were. Yeah, that uh, were going to be very expensive, and the manufacturers didn't Absolutely. want to do it. Speaking of education, Robert in Camp Hill has a comment. Robert, what's on your mind? Good morning. Morning. Uh, morning. Appreciate your time here. I try not to take too much of it. Uh, first of all, my concern is basically a single word: incompetence. And this is uh, unfortunately becoming more, more broadly noticeable because of the increased masses we have of traffic and people. Every day we go out, we have liability. I don't think I can drive you more than two or three blocks without seeing someone doing something that is irresponsible or thoughtless. I hate to interrupt you, but we have a really bad connection. I think that uh, we we got uh, most of the, the point there, but we have another uh, caller who is asking about education, and you mentioned that that's part of what you do at the Center for Highway Safety, but what about driver education? I mean, we know that um, there are many school districts in this state that have had to cut back on certain programs because of money. There may be some, and I'm not sure, but there may be some who have cut driver education. Is this something that, um, I mean, there are there as many driver education uh, 
curriculums as there used to be, and do they talk about distracted driving in those uh, in those classes? Well, I can tell you that they do talk about it in the classes that the schools that do have it. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of schools we we have been seeing this trickle down for a long time. Uh, as driver education instructors retire, they're not being replaced, and they're. Uh, the schools are, are subcontracting out to private private driver education instructors who can give behind the wheel instruction. So we do see that uh, too much, and that is a whole other show that we would be happy to have with you. Um, but um, it is out there. It, the driver ed- we do a lot of work with driver education instructors. We hold a seminar every year, and we we um, invite uh, from a four county region all the driver education. And pri- private and professional, so they know that they need to do that. They do need. They know they have a vested interest. All the driver education instructors that we work with have, are seriously in the business of training these young drivers, and they take it very seriously. So I am sure, and we give them the tools and resources to be able to do that and to have to be able to coherent, you know, thoroughly address that issue with the students. Let's talk a little bit about uh, a little bit more about the law. Um, Pennsylvania, as you say, as you said earlier, uh, probably doesn't have the strongest distracted driving law. I mean, I've driven into other states right away. As soon as it says welcome to Maryland, for example, it says no, uh, you know, you can't drive and use the mobile phone at all. Um, So there are other states that have stronger laws than us. I understand that there is legislation being considered that would uh, not allow 16- and 17-year-old drivers to use a mobile phone at all. Are there other uh, proposals out there? I mean, they're talked about from time to time, but is there anything in the legislature right now? Well, um, Representative DeLuca from uh, the Pittsburgh area, he does have, I believe, a House Bill 461 may still be alive. and that would give local munip- municipalities the right to set up their own ordinances. So maybe as you're driving through Harrisburg City, you would not be able to have any handheld device. Yeah, that's be- because that was a controversial mm-hmm. issue. If you, I think it was Lebanon that was one of the first mm-hmm. cities in the state that came up with their own ordinance, and it was shot down because it wasn't uh, consistent with state law. Right, and that's what this, the, the law that we passed in 2012 uh, preempted all those ordinances. So DeLuca's uh, legislation that he's pa- trying to get passed through uh, would give back that right to the municipalities to be able to set it up. That would at least help us until we get to a point where we can get that full legislation passed where no cell phone use. Well, you see, now, Barbara, I'm going to play devil's advocate for just a moment. Uh, You're going to have people who are going to say, well, you hear this argument with uh, uh, municipalities and gun laws that uh, this is, I mean, we're not going to get into that, that, (laughs) that, that debate, but that how is a driver to know when they're crossing a municipal boundary that, uh, okay, it's illegal for me to use a cell phone in in this city. I don't know. I I believe there might be signage. I believe uh, Harrisburg City had a law for a while when I worked up this way. Um, I just knew it. I I knew the law. can I just say this? Do you have to ha- do you have to be told not to do it? Let's you can just say anything not, you want. Yeah. <laughs> let's not say, you know, in my in my field, it, I see it all the time. Well, you know, uh, a law's got to be passed. We have to stop thinking that way. If we're going to change culture, cultural behavior, if we're going to change social norms, if we're going to convince people to use personal responsibility. Um, and and lose that sense of entitlement, then we have to stop talking about pa- passing laws. Yes, should we pass laws? Could we pass laws? But it, it begins far before that. It, it it should be. It begins in your vehicle. It begins in your brain. It begins with you. Whether there's a law or not, you should not be doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ted, I think, has uh, something along the same lines. Ted, you're in Harrisburg, right? Correct. What's on your mind? I'm on speakerphone and I'm driving. Okay, so you're on speakerphone. Correct. Okay. I think attempts to regulate common sense are misguided mm-hmm. and a waste of time. Our mm-hmm. legislators have much more important things to not be doing 
which kind of gives you a feel for my feeling about our state legislature, than trying to regulate common sense. There are any number of distractions, as I think your guest has mentioned. There could be a bumblebee flying into the car. There could be a nagging mother-in-law in in the front seat, a (laughs) kid in the back seat, a baby who's uh, upset or whatever. So trying to separate and regulate cell phone use as a distraction, where do you draw the line? Do we outlaw bumblebees? How about drive-through fast food, where you get your coffee, your soda, all the cup holders, all the entertainment devices on cars. Where do you draw the line? Well, okay, let me tell you. What they should try to do is increase the penalties for distracted driving, because otherwise, you know, like I said, where do you draw the line with what is distracting? We did pass a... And I'll take my call off Okay, thanks for your call. We did pass a law recently, Daniel's Law. A motorcyclist was killed by a woman who was texting while driving in her SUV. Uh, That went into effect in January. That has criminalized the behavior that if you are texting while driving and cause death or serious injury, that you could get a five-year prison term. So we are working towards that. But it's interesting that your caller called on a hands-free device. and. I just want to talk about a Spanish study that was conducted actually back in 2003, and they were using drivers in real cars on actual highways. I don't know where they get volunteers for this, but they do. And they had complex conversations, and what they found through this study, bottom line, was complex conversations affected visual scanning and reduced the driver's ability to detect and discriminate and respond to visual targets. So as we think, oh, as long as we're not holding to the device, if it's not, you know, and we're using the Bluetooth or whatever, that we're okay. But whether it's a direct conversation in the car or by phone, our visual scanning abilities are affected. So distractions inside one's head can be just as disruptive as environmental distractions. Human, inte- human attention has a limited capacity, and they, they're calling it inattention blindness. So even though you're using a hands-free device talking on the phone, you are still putting yourself at great risk and everybody else around because you are not visually focused. Again, this is a a physiological study that they figured out that uh, there was another study conducted by uh, Dr. David Strayer of the Applied Cognition Laboratory at uh, University of Utah. He conducted this over like a five-year period and utilized a special eye tracking device that measured where exactly drivers looked, even directed gaze at objects on the road, didn't see them. So well, be careful with that, too. You know, now, you, know we, you could tell from what Ted had to say is that, uh, you know, he has a philosophical and a political opposition. Actually, what it reminded me of, and I'm old enough to remember this, is when uh, seatbelt use was mandated in Pennsylvania, that there were a lot of people who had the same, had the same uh, arguments that, you know, this is something that... Uh, the, Lawmakers should not be telling people what they can do. It's a freedom issue. But I I don't know. I I think there are a lot of other people out there who would look at it and say that it's a safety issue in that, okay, if you decide you're going to, if you don't have that common sense that, that he talked about and you decide you're going to text and drive, you are not only endangering your life, but you're endangering the lives of other people on the road. And don't they have the freedom to that safety as well? Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Um, And it does come down to having to legislate this responsible behavior for people that aren't going to do it on their own. And should we be telling them? I I don't even want to get into that discussion because we deal too much with the trauma, the tragedy, and the injury that results from poor decision-making behind the wheel. So I can get just as passionate on the opposite side of it and and start a whole new conversation. But even with seatbelts, when you're not buckled in a vehicle, and everybody else is, we see this all the time. Parents buckle their children up. They they get the best car seat. They they install it properly. They get it into good fit. They put the child in the seat, and then they get in, and they're not buckled up. And in a crash, they become a projectile, and they could actually kill their child. So uh, that's another instance where we look at the the legislation of a seatbelt law from a different perspective. It's not to infringe on your personal right to be able to 
lean over without having the restriction of a seatbelt on you or for whatever reason you don't wouldn't want to wear a seatbelt. Why wouldn't you want to wear a seatbelt? That's the discussion we have a lot of times with people. Like, Real, real quick, I have an email here. It says, I'm an EMS, and distracted driving has become a problem with us. When responding to an emergency, distracted drivers do not see or hear us as quickly as they did in the past. Sometimes we are directly behind them and have to slow down until they finally notice us. Once they do see us, it startles them, and they often make an abrupt move, which is also very dangerous. I cannot tell you how many times we see headphones on drivers as we pass by. Something else to consider. Uh, Barbara Zortman is the director of the Center for Traffic Safety. Barbara, a lot to think about here today, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, we've made some people think about this, and uh, they're not, maybe they won't be doing it as often. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Fifteen students from the region will give presentations on topics ranging from refugee aid to sports broadcasting on Saturday's TEDx Youth at Lancaster event at Millersville University's Winter uh, Winter Center. Joining us in the studio to discuss are TEDx Youth Events Executive Director Director Bob Vasile. Bob, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Also joining us, two of the students who will be participating. Sarah Javiz is a senior at uh, Franklin and Marshall College whose focus is on health care and public policy, and she also addressed the issue of Muslim tolerance and refugee aid. And Akash Banerjee, who is a freshman at Warwick High School, addresses stereotypes using humor. I want to welcome uh, the two of you as well. Thank you. Hello. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. That is the number to call. Or send an email to smarttalk at org. Bob Vasile, let me start with you. Uh, we'll start with TED itself and then go to TEDx and then in Lancaster. But uh, let's, let's talk about uh, TED. What is TED for those who aren't familiar with it? TED is an annual conference that brings together people that have ideas worth spreading. And originally, TED was just technology, entertainment, and design, Mm -hmm. hence the the TED. Uh, But it's morphed now into uh, basically all subject matters. So the TED videos that we see online are mostly from the TED conference. And then TEDx events, X stands for independently organized TED events. And these are events that organizers like myself produce throughout the world. And we started in Lancaster in 2014, and we've done three adult events, um, 2014, 15, and 16. And then this year will be our first TEDx Youth event. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that we pointed that out, that uh, this has happened in Lancaster before, but it was adult uh, TEDx uh, uh, events, and now for the first time, uh, TEDx Youth. Obviously, there's a difference between the age groups. But how else is it different when you have uh, younger people as compared to adults? Well, to my surprise, I mean, how this actually got started was that we had three high school speakers at, one, at some of our adult events. And it was like, my goodness, these are, these are youth that are up on stage with adults and they've got ideas worth spreading. So let's do a youth event to see what the youth are looking to talk about. But to answer your question, it's not really that much different. It's, it's, it's all about ideas worth spreading. And then we have, um, during our event, an, an exhibition hall where we'll have a quantum levitator um, and different things like that that um, our attendees can experience. Yeah, there's more than, than, than just the speakers. There are some entertainment. and uh, Talk about overall what is available and what you're looking to do. Well, I'm looking to do a couple of things. Number one, to showcase ideas worth spreading. I feel that if you witness or experience a good TED or TEDx talk, it's going to do a couple of things. It's going to change your mindset, possibly change your life, your community, or possibly the world. And so we've got ideas worth spreading at our event that I think pertain not only to youth, but also to adults as well. And then we have exhibits there that I think are going to be um, interesting no matter what your age is. So like I mentioned a quantum levitator, we have 3D virtual reality art that will be there really? as well. Yeah, so it's going to be some interesting um, experiences in our exhibition hall. So it's not just about the talks as well. And that's one of the things when I go to these TED events um, internationally is a TEDx event is an independently organized TED event. So I want to try to replicate 
what I experienced at a TED event and bring that to my hometown. And WITF, I should mention WITF is involved in uh, the TEDx event uh, as well. You know, we always ask, and I bring that up because uh, here in broadcasting, multimedia, when we are uh, developing a program or, you know, we're looking to put something on the air, a lot of times we ask, well, who is the target audience? So let me ask you, who is your target audience? I don't know if we really have a target audience because for me, <laughs> it's – I think – I mean, ideas worth spreading. There, There is no demographic for that. It's everyone. We it, want everyone to be – to hear those ideas that are worth spreading. Exactly. So, I mean, even from our marketing standpoint, it's not like we target a certain age group or demographic or things like that. It's just um, anybody that wants to grow personally, that wants to change their mindset – um, that wants to help community. So that could be anyone from, you know, youth to um, older adults. I looked at your website, and it has uh, a list and a little bit of bi- biographical information on the, the young people who will be speaking and participating. And I have to say, number one, it's very impressive. I mean, the, the young people are very impressive. And this is n- not just your... Uh, um, you know, kid on the street who, exactly. you, who who's going to get up on stage and talk. I mean, these people, these young people have uh, some accomplishments already, and uh, you can tell they're very bright and have some great ideas, great things to talk about. So I uh, want to talk with a, a couple of them right now. Sarah Vees, as I said, a senior at Franklin and Marshall College. Uh, whose focus is on health care and public policy, also addresses the issue of Muslim tolerance and refugee aid. Sarah, when do you have time for anything social? <laughs> <laughs> um, you make time. That's what you do. Um, no, I mean, I try to balance, keep a balanced life with my academics and my social um, endeavors. So I, I'm. they don't feel like I'm taking up any time. <laughs> so you're having a good time yeah. with, while you're doing it. Where are you from originally? I'm from Lancaster. You're from Lancaster. Yep. Okay. Um, so how did you get interested in uh, the, the TEDx event, and what message do you want to spread? So I actually found out about TEDx Lancaster, the youth program, through my high school teacher, um, Sam Schindler. Uh, he taught me World Civ uh, in high school. Did you and you I went to Lancaster Country Day for okay. high school. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, and so I had just kind of got interested in the whole refugee topic uh, last summer. Um, the spark for me is our local refugee agency, Church World Services, held a screening of a documentary that I recommend everyone to watch called Salam Neighbor, um, which basically showcased two American students who went over to Jordan to the refugee camps with the Syrian refugees, um, and that kind of sparked something in me. Uh, and then there just happened to be a trip that I knew that was going to Jordan, taking youth. It's called Youth for Jordan. So I went on that trip, and it, everything worked out. TEDx Youth happened. Uh, like So then I applied, basically, to share the idea where it's spreading, which I hope to share, is that youth can get involved um, on a local level, you know, they don't have to go overseas to help refugees and they can just help refugees in their own community. And that's a step in the right direction. So well, that's what I hope to spread. Well, Lancaster County, of course, uh, not just in Pennsylvania, but across the country, uh, Lancaster County uh, traditionally uh, is, uh, is a county that welcomes refugees uh, more so than most areas of the country. But you're also uh, interested uh, in, in public policy and health care. This obviously is one of the big topics in this country right now. As a young person, how are you looking at this? You know, I I believe that healthcare is a fundamental right. Um, and as someone who's always been into, interested in this topic, um, I think we have a lot of improvements to go. I think that the U.S., you know, can do better. Um, and so that's kind of the direction I hope through my career is to move forward in providing more health care, basic necessities to more people um, in the U.S. and your, the world. <laughs> so your career, you, were, you your major was uh, in the medical field, right? Yes. Okay. So what what uh, do you look for as, a, as far as a career goes? Um, so I'm not 100% sure yet, but I do want to do something health care related, um, and public health is definitely going to be part of that. I, I don't know for sure, though. Mm. 
You're a senior, right? Yes, I'm a senior. I'm still making. I'm still deciding. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure okay. or anything like yeah. that. <laughs> All right. So now let's turn to uh, Abash Banerjee, who is a freshman at Warwick High School, and I understand uh, Abash that uh, Akash. Akash. I'm sorry. I'm Akash. Yeah, I'm, that's okay. My glasses need. Ch- I, I looked up there and I actually saw a B. You know, and I have trifocals and I missed that. Uh, a freshman, Akash, uh, a freshman at Warwick High School addresses stereotypes using humor. Okay, this is a great... People probably like this. You're not Don Rickles or anything. Do you know who Don Rickles is? I do not know. You're not... God. <laughs> Bob, what are you laughing at? I mean, I, yes, I know that shows... I suddenly feel old. <laughs> me too. Well, let me explain to you. He was a, a comedian who actually just passed away earlier uh-huh. this year who used... Yeah, he His big shtick was humor and stereotypes. Mm-hmm. But... I, I hate to ask what your shtick is, but how do you use humor with stereotypes? What I believe is that people will listen to one of two extremes. Something that's extremely funny or something that is extremely deep and has a lot of gravity. Right. If we combine the two, then that becomes the perfect blend. And people seem to understand more when you incorporate humor. And the thing with stereotypes is it's you can incorporate humor because everyone has the wrong idea about stereotypes. And that is what makes it so funny because we think that, you know, if we um, stereotype someone or something, we're immediately a terrible person. Right, right. But that's not the case. We stereotype every day. And so it's funny because you can take these examples of everyday life and where you can say, you know, was I bigoted in doing this? No, of course I wasn't. You know, we do this every day. Mm-hmm. So that's how I incorporate All right, well, I don't want to put you on the spot here and have you. I mean, I, I, I actually, I just saw a TV show last night where someone said, yeah, I'm a funny person. And the, the other person says, okay, we'll make me laugh. So I'm not going to do that to you. But give me an yeah. example of some of the things that you're going to talk about on Saturday. Okay. Um, one of my examples of a justifiable stereotype is is a little um, anecdote that's not a, an actual personal story, but um, it's one of those, let's say this. Right. So let's say a gigantic dog. It's barreling towards you. His eyes are really big. His uh, mouth is frothing. He looks like he has rabies or something. I'm scared right now. Yeah, you you should be terrified. <laughs> and you you are smack dab in the middle of his path. And he's running towards you, and you're going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, what do I do? Well, common sense probably says that you should move out of the way. Now, if this dog ends up being super friendly and just wanted to give you a kiss on the cheek or a, a, have a belly rub... You weren't being bigoted in moving out of the way. You weren't being prejudiced. You were just moving out of the way because stereotypically, that dog was not coming up towards you to give you a Teletubby hug. So that is the idea that I'm trying to trying to spread, that stereotypes, we make them every day. And to call these stereotypes bigoted is ironically bigoted. Well, there's a reason that uh, sometimes that a stereotype becomes a stereotype. Yes, yes. And stereotypes, at least innocent stereotypes, are based off of common sense. And, you know, our mothers always tell us to use your common sense. Right, right. So Your dads don't do that, though. They do they? <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah, a little but, bit. But you know, we always use the mother as an example. <laughs> when I say stereotypes, there's a reason for stereotypes, but there is that line between being bigoted and acting upon a stereotype. There is. And this is where it, instead of being black and white like everyone thinks it is, you know, it it's it's a gradient. It's this mesh of, of uh, black and white together it's a grayscale because you have you know you have stereotypes and then you have how you act upon those stereotypes do you act upon it in a way that is justifiable or do you act upon it in a way that is unjustifiable and depending on which routes you take you are either bigoted or just innocently stereotyping now akash you're in ninth grade i am a freshman obviously you've thought a lot about this 
Yep, lots of dinner discussions. <laughs> Is that where it came about? The family discussions at the dinner table? Actually, a lot of it did because we always we always tend to, you know, start talking about weird things. We start talking about ironic things and that's, you know, where one day we were just eating and I was like, "What if stereotypes aren't bad?" And then I started doing research and this popped up. Yeah. Well, so, uh, I, Bob, I got to tell you, I mean, these these two are, you know, so impressive, and I could talk all day with the, 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 the two of you. Maybe we'll have you back on the show sometime. Sure. We'll just uh, <laughs> d- d- discuss some of these issues. But, uh, Bob, is this uh, are are these two uh, are Sarah and Akash uh, representative of the students? Uh, I say they all are students, correct? They are. Yes. Okay. Of the students who uh, who will be participating on Saturday, it's amazing if if. People are wondering what's happening to today's youth, as we all might. Um, If you attend this event, you'll see the positive of it. It was just unbelievable to get so many applications from so many students with ideas worth spreading that we had the luxury of picking and choosing what we felt was the cream of the crop. Oh, so you actually had to pick and choose. Oh, yes. This is um, it's an it's a it's an application process. Uh, We have probably one of the tougher application processes for a TEDx event. And one of the things that we try to curate for is we try to curate tomorrow's stars today. Mm. Uh, So, Bob, uh, let's provide a little information. I mean, probably uh, our audience could take from what you just said that this is open to the public, that there are tickets available. Uh, Provide the details, when, where, where, how tickets could be obtained, that kind of thing. It's this Saturday from 1 to 5 p.m. at the Winter Center on the campus of Millersville University. Tickets are $14.99 each, and they are available at our website at tedxlancaster.com. What about uh, the hours? Uh, It's 1 to 5. Doors will open at 12. The event itself is 1 to 5 p.m. Well, it sounds like a, a great event, and uh, I, I think that uh, it really does for for people who hear uh, a lot of negative things about young people. Sometimes that uh, it restores your faith in the you know what the future will be here in in this country and here in Pennsylvania. But I want to thank the three of you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, we're going to be talking about uh, the week in Harrisburg. It has been a big week, a lot going on. Also, uh, the author of a book about the rise of ISIS. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, committed to reducing hospital-acquired infections and readmission rates. More information on Pinnacle Health's achievements in patient safety can be found at pinnaclehealth.org quality. 